Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Right now, I want to speak to Jonathan Feldstein. He's the founder of Genesis 123 Foundation, and he gives us our first news update of what is happening in Israel. Morning, Jonathan. How are you? Okay, Kathy. Good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. Are you still within the 40 hours? Yes, he goes back at noon today. Okay. All right. Um, Jonathan, what is the latest news out of Israel? Um, the, one of the one of the big news items here was watching this morning on TV the ridiculously large weapons cache that was uh, located in Ratissi Hospital in Gaza. I mean, it, 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 uh, shame that their emergency room isn't as well stocked as the as the weapons. But we're seeing this over and over and over and over again in all of the Gaza hospitals. Um, I I don't imagine that that's getting too much airtime around the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how many? I mean, 36 hospitals for 2 million people, you know, when there are nations, you know, Arab nations of 30 million people who don't have as many hospitals. I mean, it is interesting. It is interesting how money is getting spent, you know, in Gaza. It's lovely for them to have hospitals. But if their hospitals are military headquarters, and that's a problem, and Israel is attacking them because it's necessary to take out the terrorists who are using them and the people within as as um, human shields, then then it's uh, it's problematic, and it's not it's not good for anybody. It's not good for the Gazans, and it's not good for us. And nobody nobody wants them not to be well cared for. It's just that they shouldn't be using these facilities. For uh, for the base of terrorism. Well, that's the problem. I mean, how has the world responded? Have you seen responses where people have said, "You know what? We're actually no longer going to fund, or we're going to send you seeds to grow." You know, we're going to send you seeds so that you can grow cabbages. Has well, have you seen any happened. kind of responses like that? There's no, no. There's only a blame of Israel. Uh, now, uh, I don't. I think it was reported from yesterday, so I imagine it's probably concluded the meeting between. Egyptian President Sisi and uh, and the Jordanian King Abdullah uh, talking about their own mutual interests in the Gaza War and how neither of them want to take in um, Palestinians to be helpful because, the, frankly, they don't want them. Um, they don't they don't, they don't want the terrorism that these uh, that, that many of these people bring with them. Um, frankly, I can't blame them, but but it's ironic then to blame Israel. Yeah, you know, when you say terrorism, and, and uh, I get it, that it's difficult to tell who's a terrorist and who isn't. Sometimes, so many years ago, when I had my gap year, okay, we're talking decades and decades ago, um, after school, I went to Israel, I worked on a kibbutz for a year, and uh, I had a very nice boyfriend at the time, an Israeli, and he was serving in the military. And um, he was explaining to me that Sometimes when you're on patrol and there are, you know, um, Palestinian kids playing with a ball, sometimes a ball is not a ball. And Uh, you always have to be on your guard. You know, and and for any number of variables of a situation. And that, I think, was really my first insight because that was during the Intifada, um, 1988. 89 I think it was but um, yeah it was uh, it was very insightful and I've always remembered that that a ball is not always a ball 
when a you talk about the Middle East. A shepherd is not always a shepherd. Um, I don't think I've ever shared with you, but not this past summer, but the year before, in one of the projects that I do for the Genesis One Two Three Foundation. Now in the winter, I'm making soup and delivering it to soldiers, hot soup in the cold Judean mountains near my home, and and people love that. But in the summer, I tell the local uh, Macolet grocery store owner to chill a hundred kilos of watermelon and a uh, hundred bottles of uh, of drinks. I pick them up at 11 o'clock in the morning on a, on a typically on a Friday and drive as far south as Hebron to give to soldiers. And last one of the times I went in that summer of 22, I went with a friend of mine, Marty, and I said, why don't we're going into Hebron anyway? Why don't we also give to Arabs? Why not? Well, it's, it's, it's hot for them, too. So we did. And some accepted it. But there was one instance where there were two boys sitting near one of the checkpoints that divides the city. And they were just sitting there. Um, it was clear to me that they were not sitting aimlessly. They were sitting spying, rep- reporting back to somebody. But it didn't matter to me. They were little boys. They were probably 10, 11, 12 years old. And I drove up my car to them because I was going to give them watermelon. And as soon as I got out of my car, they ran away as if I was going to abduct them or kill them, which was very sad. But I, even though I recognized that they were there gathering information, I wanted to give them a cold piece of watermelon just to be nice. Yeah. And, and that's that's a tremendous paradox of our reality here. Yeah. Jonathan, are you seeing the reports of um, of the citizens of Gaza who are becoming more and more vocal about the opposition of Hamas? We are seeing for sure that there are more and more of these reports and they are being uh, muted by the Arab uh, media, typically where that's happening. But that's definitely happening. And the most recent poll, the only encouraging piece out of the most recent survey by a Palestinian um, uh, pollster was that you saw Gazans at a much lower percent supporting Hamas and the atrocities of October 7th than Palestinian Arabs in general. Palestinian Arabs who are my neighbors in the villages near us in Judea, on the other hand, are so wildly supportive of Hamas. And I suspect, obviously there's no Rashi to the polls and we don't know why the polls are like this, but I suspect that it's largely because Gazans have experienced the devastation that they have and they realize now for most of two decades, Hamas has pilfered their money, built these underground cities, massive, massive amounts of weapons and two million Gazans have been living uh, in poverty. And it's not Israel's fault. Israel's letting in hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Uh, it, it, it's So I, I'm, I'm optimistic about that. And I don't know if I had shared with you the article that I wrote for Christmas that said, um, Gazans need a little Jesus. Yes. My hope is that re- the recovery will be done by Christians and Christians will be able to bring their faith to Palestinian Arabs in Gaza who who have been let down so much. And maybe that's the true answer to peace, that they should all become Christian, in which case they'll love the God of Israel and the land and the people and state of Israel. Okay, well, that's one way of looking looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> I know many Muslims who would definitely not agree with you, but okay, okay. Um, Jonathan, how do you reconcile, um, you know, when you see videos of Palestinians after 
um, you know, it was actually flighted on Al Jazeera on October the 7th, you know, where Palestinians in Gaza were celebrating what was happening. And then now they're all turning on Hamas and talking about how badly Hamas was. How do you reconcile that? Do you just say that people are people? And when somebody is being victimized, which clearly a lot of the Palestinians in Gaza were, um, or perhaps still are, that they, that their behavior is going to have to change accordingly. I, I think that that's, that's probably the case. And I hope it's probably the case because it does suggest that there is a level of humanity that's possible still. If they realize that all these years they've been abused by the, by Hamas, which has occupied Gaza, which has hijacked Gaza, and they now, even among the devastation, which is horrible, if they realize that that hasn't worked for them and they're prepared to vocally advocate at risk of their own lives, that, that Hamas is no longer, um, the, the, if, you, if you'll excuse the pun, their messiah, uh, th- then I'm hopeful that in whatever the rec- uh, reconstruction is and reconciliation is you'll still have some two million Palestinian Arabs in Gaza. And I don't know if most of whom, but maybe at least many of whom will come to realize that all these years they've been drinking Kool-Aid of hate. I don't know if that's an appropriate South African analogy. We understand, um, but, you know, drinking okay. the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Right. And, and, but, but I, I, I hope so. I'm 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 still naively optimistic, even though we witnessed the atrocities that we've witnessed. And it's it's really created a complete shift, which we've talked about previously in how Israelis look at our neighbors. Yeah. Um, By the way, if you don't know the reference to drinking the Kool-Aid, it was a reference to Jim Jones. He was he was a he was a cult leader who um, actually poisoned his entire congregation and gave them all um, Kool-Aid to drink, and it was poison, and they all died. So uh, that's when, 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 when you say somebody's drinking from the Kool-Aid, you know, it means that we're being indoctrinated by a poisonous um, idea. Yeah. So that's the reference. Jonathan, I've heard um, P- Gazans in videos, I've watched them say, that when Israel was in charge of the Gaza Strip, you know, pre-2005, uh, it was 2005, wasn't it? When was Correct, it? that's when right. it was true, yes. 2005, um, that their lives were better. What do you course, think the chances are of Israel taking back the Gaza Strip? Uh, taking and what taking does that mean? What does that mean? What, and what does that mean for, um, you know, for Palestinian state? I mean, I think I think a lot of people have come to the conclusion, the correct conclusion, that this is not about land, right? If it was about correct. land, the the Palestinians would have had a state long ago. But um, it's not about land. It's about ideology. It's a clash of cultures. You can call it whatever you like. But what do you think the chances are of Israel taking over? Management, administration, um, ensuring a better life for Palestinians in Gaza. Uh, well, honestly, I hope not because I don't see that having a really good ending. And I and I 
don't say it rhetorically. I actually think if we could have an army of tens of thousands of Christian volunteers coming in who are doctors, who are educators, who who are uh, in construction and can rebuild and city planners and, and also give them a little faith and a little bit of hope, um, I, I actually think that that would be the best because even a coalition of the best, I, I don't, I don't want Israel controlling two million lives. I don't want us having to have the responsibility for that. They need to take responsibility. You know, they claim that they're occupied. Let them take responsibility for themselves, but let them have aid from outside. I don't trust any Arab state, even our best allies, to go in there and not take bribes to let in all the weapons that we've seen flow in that have made Hamas as strong as it is. So I, I, I suspect that the world pressure will not allow the current government to to take administrative control. Certainly we must have more security control. I don't know what that means. If it had been up to me, there would have been a security zone a kilometer or two kilometers inside the Gaza Strip with shoot to kill orders. Anyone rushes your border, you shoot them. Um, and, and that's a tremendous paradox to see Jonathan the humanitarian saying they should all be well, but if you attack this, attack the borders, then you should be shot. And I, and I don't, and I don't have a conflict with either of the two, but I don't, I don't particularly want to see Israel governing the inside of Gaza City and Khan Yunus and, and whatever other refugee camps are, are still there. I, I don't want to see it, and I don't think it's probable. But we also didn't expect Hamas was going to attack on October 7th. Yeah, you know, there's, there's something that I, I think that is actually more toxic to the Palestinian people, or any people, who receive aid. There's a there's an excellent book, it's called Dead Aid. It was written by many years ago by a Kenyan woman by the name of Dembisa Moyo. And it was the first time that I had heard expressed or, or read expressed a view that when you constantly give somebody aid, you actually keep them needy, right? Um, so that's the first thing is that you ne- if you're constantly given stuff, you never actually develop the ability to produce it yourself. Right, it, it keeps you. It's a one way to subjugate somebody. There's another. El, there's another element to it, and that is that there are five stages of creating dependency. So if I give to you, Jonathan, today, I give you a hundred dollars. Right, the first time I give it to you, you're going to feel appreciative. Right. Mm. If I do the same tomorrow, you're going to anticipate that I'm going to do it. Right. The third day, it's going to create an expectation. So we've got appreciation, anticipation, expectation, then comes entitlement. You owe me. Wow. Wow. By the fourth time, you owe me. And by the fifth time, I'm dependent on you because I have made no plans to do it myself. That That is brilliant. It unfortunately well well defines... Palestinian Arab culture and society, and I've written about that here as well, and it's it's wonderful. And I really here's the paradox of your guest Jonathan Feldstein. At one point, I say shoot to kill. On the other hand, I'm the humanitarian who says it's great that a third of the Palestinian Authority economy comes from Israeli employers and Arabs working 
in our communities, and that's terrific. But the, the the downside of that is that they're not producing themselves, that they're reliant upon us, and that's not good because if they want to have their own independent society, it's incumbent upon them to produce their own businesses and opportunities for employment and income and not be proud and not make terrorism their national pastime, but in fact production of something that's productive. Yeah, which also comes back to the age-old question of, you know, populations, we get the leadership we deserve, right? Uh, I mean, that's what, okay. that's what we're told. That's, that's something that the Torah tells us, is that we get the leadership that we deserve. And unfortunately, um, I think that the Palestinian people have had terrible, terrible leadership. The same could be said about South Africans. We have terrible uh-huh. leadership, and we just keep them in power. Why? Well, I, I hope that you deserve better, and I hope the Palestinians deserve better. Yeah, me too. Um, and I hope that everyone will have better. I, I, I'm not, I'm not a doom, a doomsday person to the extent that it can't ever change, and it should change. Yeah. But it's not, that's not the reality, and we have to base our future on the reality, not on how we want it to be. Absolutely. Jonathan Feldstein, I'm loving our conversations, and I look forward to Likewise. speaking to you tomorrow. Have a wonderful day. You send too, uh, send blessings you. to your son. God bless. That's Jonathan Feldstein. He's the founder of Genesis 123 Foundation.